we wait till uh, we go somewhere else where it's different to us and then suddenly we're willing to hang out together and pray for each other every day and then we're willing to walk on the edge and then we're willing to put aside our differences and then we're willing to believe the Lord and then we're willing to pray for healing and then we're willing... Why? Why is it different just because you get on a plane? Why, why wouldn't that be the case here? And, and, you know, if I'm ever asked, Pastor Lance, what's the hardest thing or what's the greatest obstacle you face in the church today? I already know it ahead of time. And it's not the enemy. Jesus took care of him. He's, he, Jesus has that one down. It's busyness. Because here, here's what I'm going to suggest. A lot of us are not connected because of busyness. A lot of us are not doing the things that we need to do to engage with Jesus more because of busyness. We're not having extended prayer times. Yeah, when am I going to do that? I got a job. We don't have times where we hang out together and get built up. We're not in a small group because we're so busy. We got so many things going on in our lives. It has made us like spectators and consumers coming to church where we come in and we get a little bit just to live on, get a little boost, and then we bail out. We don't know anybody here. As much as that is valuable, and I love the fact that we have podcasts and streaming, it's not church. Church means we get involved with each other. We engage with each other. And for a lot of us, we don't know how we're going to do that. I mean, uh, in, in today's world, when you're largely middle class, which is kind of what this church is, uh, we live in a society where it fights against us having time to get a lot of things done. For example, uh, we don't live in walkable communities anymore. Uh, we live in suburb areas where you actually have to drive from one location to another. You don't live right next to church. You can't walk to church. You don't tend to, a lot of us don't tend to walk to school. It is still a little bit of a drive. And then because of the way that schools are set up today, uh, PE is not sufficient in getting all the uh, physical education and health for our bodies. So then we're running our kids to necessary events for them to be healthy and to run and, and to do sports. And then we're trying to get everything done and move around and then we got to go to church and we drive for that. And when are we supposed to have time to do all these things? I don't, I don't know. What I'm telling you is, is our busyness and our ability of disconnecting and not investing here, not serving, not meeting people, not having friendships here is killing us. It just cannot remain like this or it will steal all the exciting thing God wants to do for you. You know, you, you listen to these stories. What if you're too busy to go on a mission trip? And then you don't get to see and experience what they did. Maybe, I'm, I'm going to talk a little later, as Rod mentioned, I'm going to talk a little later about Pentecost, about when that hit. What if you didn't go to church that day? What a drag. I mean, that happens to be the one day you miss, right? And, and they're like, man, there was tongues of fire and there was a mighty wind. You're like, what? I, I didn't, you know, Duck Dynasty was on. I, you know, I didn't, I didn't know. I just, my DVR wasn't working. You know, that kind of stuff busyness is killing us. So here's really kind of the heart of, of what we're doing. Uh, I, I just finished a 28-part series, right, on, on Isaiah. That's pretty heavy. We're going to be walking into a whole other book of the Bible in a couple weeks. I wanted to take a two-week break and do a two-week topical series on what community means. 
I want to talk about being connected and why this is so critical. So I know I don't do these very often, um, but I think that it's family time. I think it's important time for us to talk about this because what you cannot do is merely come, attend a little bit, and then bail out. You have to know people and you have to be known for church to matter. So let's learn why. Uh, we all know that God is community. We all know that, the, that we believe in a triune God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, one God. That means within God, there is community. The Father can communicate with the Son who can communicate with the Holy Spirit and around the circle it goes. We were made in the image of God. Therefore, we were made to be communal beings. We need other people. We live in relationship. And that dynamic brings out things of God in us that isolation will not. As a matter of fact, when God created Adam, he said, even before sin entered into the human race, it is not good for man to be alone. If God says it's not good, guess what? It's not good. And then Satan hijacked everything. It was like, prior to that, everybody was naked and happy. You remember that? I mean, it was kind of like, you know, there was all this freedom of, of, man, I don't have anything to worry about you, and you're not going to attack me, and you're not going to make fun of me, and you're not going to be terrible to me, and, and I just had this freedom to be who I am. Satan comes in and screws the whole thing up. Then all of a sudden, they're wearing stuff to, def- you know, block themselves from each other, and then God comes in the garden, and they run and hide from him, and there's all this isolation. Satan ruined everything. And, and yet... The power of coming together is, is, is amazing. I want to tell you this. Isolation is the devil's playground. How do we know that? Because when he gets done with people, they're isolated. I'll give you a couple examples. God said, you can go after Job. Do you remember this? Literally, God gave him kind of an open invitation. Don't kill him, but you can do whatever you want to tear him apart. Do you remember that? Well, what, what did he look like when Satan was done with him? He's isolated. He had three friends. You guys remember his friends? With friends like that, who needs enemies? Yeah? What a terrible group of people. They were no help at all. At least he had the support of his wife. Oh, that's right. She was miserable too. By the time Satan got done with him, he had no one around him. He was all by himself. If you remember the story of naked demon guy who uh, Jesus pulls up the boat, he comes screaming out of the tombs. He had been chained and he was cutting himself and it described his lifestyle. He lived among the tombs by himself, lonely, cutting himself and crying out every day. When Satan gets done with you, that's what you look like. You're isolated. You're out there. And whatever Satan wants from me, I don't want. Now, there's a lot of us that would say, man, I'm, I'm completely cool being alone. I don't, you know, I'm not Mr. Gregarious or, or Mrs. Sanguine. I don't need to be with people all the time. I'm completely content with my books. I didn't tell you you're not content. I told you you're not healthy. That's different. Well, I don't need, you know, I don't need any friends. I got, you know, I got my spouse and, I, and I'm cool. I got my family and that's sufficient. So you're going to dump all of your life issues on your family. That's not appropriate. So I get you don't want to make friends. I'm telling you, you have to make friends because it's not appropriate to live without them. If we do not have community, we do not get to enjoy certain blessings of life. Let me tell you a story. 
buddy of mine, his name is Pete Velatini. He is a local vet in the area. I may have mentioned him to you before. He's kind of important to me. He was the one, he's at Loomis Basin Veterinary Clinic here uh, not too far away, and he was the one that walked me through that process of my dog and the, that whole thing about me having to put her down. He was her primary vet towards the end there, and we had been connected, but I was more connected to their family because years ago, his wife Ruth and he wanted to have a family, but Ruth has a heart condition. And so she had to go off medication in order to get pregnant, and in doing so, she was risking death. So we had to pray a lot as the elder team to go, listen, if they're going to take this risk, Lord, would you cover them? Would you back them up? Would you allow them? Well, God answered those prayers many years ago, and they have a family, and they have little boys, and they ha- you know, there was all this wonderful blessing, but that knits people into my heart, right? I'm praying with them. I'm involved in the issue. I own it, you know, all that kind of stuff. So Ruth and Peter have always been a big deal to me. Well, sure enough, Pete is so, you know, he's one of those good guys. Like, there's, there's some of us that are just messed up. And he's like one of the good guys, you know. And he always gives for other people. He was out training for a 100-mile bike ride. And within a matter of days, he went from that healthy to twitching, can't breathe, fell apart, he's in the ICU, no one knows what's wrong with him, he has all these neurological problems, the Mayo Clinic's involved, all the doctors are contacting all over the United States, no one can stop it, it's getting worse, he's just completely flattened out on the bed in a matter of days with no answers. So I'm freaked out, we're all praying as an elder team, I go and see him in the hospital. And there I'm praying with Ruth and I see him in the bed and, and he's trying, he's completely weak He had just finished being intubated, so they pulled the tube out, and so he's barely breathing on his own, and then all of a sudden, all the stuff in his lungs blocks him, and he stops breathing, and they have to suction. They're dropping a tube right down his throat while I'm standing there and suctioning out his lungs, and and I was so uncomfortable because he's just racked with problems, and I was like, God, you got to touch this guy. I'm praying with Ruth, and I'm worried about their little boys at home because dad just disappeared, and... And I talked to Ruth. I said, how are you guys making it? How are you doing you know, with this? Because somebody's got to be with the boys. You can't always be here and the boys aren't, haven't been allowed to see them yet. She said, well, we have family really at the beginning, but really the boys need me at home at night. So I go and I have dinner with them and I put them to bed and I'm with them overnight. And I was thinking, well, how in the world are you doing that? Because somebody's got to be with Peter. And she said, the most amazing thing. Well, yeah. Some of the guys from the small group, they stay with him overnight. What? Some of the men that are not family. Have you ever stayed overnight in a hospital? It's miserable. You are interrupted constantly. There's nowhere comfortable to lay down. And you're constantly nervous about the person you're watching over. Because even though the hospital is responsible, you feel like you're responsible. Guys from the small group change their lifestyles to be with Pete overnight. You don't have that if you don't have a small group like that. That will not happen to you. There are so many people that, that you know, no one cares about me here. And no one, we don't know you. We want to know you, but you touch and go and touch and go and touch and go. We don't, we don't know what's going on. You need someone to know when you're not here. You need someone to care when you're not walking with the Lord. You need somebody to be there to hold you accountable, to bust you when you're walking out of line. 
You need someone to be there to back you up. The power of having people with you is extraordinary. Stuff happens here that just isn't going to happen with you by yourself. I mean, you come to church for a reason, right? Why is this place packed out? Why do we have over a thousand chairs set up and everybody's jammed in here and we have more than enough children that we can't even care for them in the back? Why is this place so full? Because you know that something happens here that is different than at home. God moves mightily in your home. God moves mightily at work. But it's just a different scenario and atmosphere. God revealed to us the power of people coming together in, in a story that kind of harnesses the terrible side of it, right? We have a lot of stories about, in the Bible about mob mentality, right? Where people got together and did bad things. I mean, even in our own history, the Third Reich under Hitler was bad community, right? You can get together and get brainwashed and do some pretty messed up things. Tower of Babel story. Y'all remember this? This is in Genesis. So the mankind, God had told them to spread out. They all came together, of course. They all came together and they're thinking, man, do you realize what we can create? I mean, you're looking at all the animals. We dominate this place. We need to set something up, some type of monument to show the incredible things we can accomplish together. That part they did have right. They build a ziggurat or a pyramid and they're making this big, huge tower. And God said this phrase. This is stunning. If as one people speaking the same language they have begun to do this, Yahweh said, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. If God says nothing will be impossible, nothing will be impossible. The power of coming together and community is so extraordinary, God blew it up. Confused all the languages and says you're not doing that because you can't even control the amount of power that can come from you guys getting together. So we're not doing that. Can it ever be harnessed for good? It can God gave them a vision to do that very thing. He had Moses up on Mount Sinai. All of Israel was down at the foot of the mountain. Joshua was watching the gear in the middle. Moses talks to God and God said, I have an amazing, beautiful vision that I'd like to give you. And I want everybody to come together and make this happen. I would like to have a date tent with you. I would like you to set up a tent. We're going to call it the tent of meeting. It's like a tabernacle. It's like a little baby movable temple. It's going to have a holy of holies. It's going to have this beautiful gold box. It's going to have lamp, uh, uh, candlelight on the inside. It's going to shimmer off the walls. It's going to have cherubim on the curtains. It's going to be beautiful inside. And I'm going to come down with my presence and I descend upon it. And I will talk to you face to face like a friend. Man, can we really do that? Can we really come together and make something? I mean, we're just slaves. We just came out of Egypt. It's not like we have jobs. Where in the world are we going to get all that stuff? I mean, that's going to be costly. You're talking about gold stuff. You're talking about incredibly expensive stuff. Where are we going to get that? Well, you remember, when you came out of Egypt, I had the Egyptians load you up before you took off. Do you remember that? Oh, that's right. You have the stuff. question is, are you guys going to come together and do this? Turn with me to Exodus 36.2. This is powerful. I bet you've never, ever experienced this particular story, type of story, in a church that you've attended. I have not. It's that unusual and miraculous. It says this, Exodus 36.2. By the way, you'll never hear this story preached if it is not during a building campaign. <laughs> That's not why I'm teaching it today. Although we have a building campaign. Exodus 
They received from Moses all the offerings that the Israelites had brought to carry out the work of constructing the sanctuary. And the people continued to bring free will offerings morning after morning. So all the skilled craftsmen who were doing all the work in the sanctuary left their work and said to Moses, the people are bringing more than enough for doing the work the Lord commanded to be done. Then Moses gave an order and they sent this word throughout the camp. No man or woman is to make anything else as an offering for the sanctuary. So the people were restrained from bringing more because what they had already had was more than enough to do all the work. That has never happened in a church. I mean, this is literally, okay, you guys, seriously, offerings out of control. Knock it off. One more gift. I'm going to lose it. I'm just all over the place. You know, it's just like, oh, full envelopes. Oh my gosh. Who's going to count all this? You know, it's a logistical nightmare, you know. That, that just doesn't happen. But what's the point? The point is, is that when the body came together, they did something extraordinary. They actually finished the job and God's presence descended on it. And that was an amazing place for God to guide the people. Here's what's so ironic about it. While God was giving those instructions, the people in Israel were down at the foot of the mountain and thought they had lost Moses. And they were doing what? All together making a big golden calf and sinning against God. It's like God was saying, hey, listen, you guys are really powerful when you come together. And currently right now you're coming together and being a bunch of idiots. So what I would like to do is redirect that energy into something that's valuable, please. Can you get them off the dumb idea and move it on to something intelligent? Can we move over into something that will honor and glorify me? So I would suggest to you, the Bible is clear all the way across on the power of community. We shape one another. It's called ethos. In our kids, we call it peer pressure. Peer pressure matters. It still matters. You wear what you wear because people like you wear that. You drive what you drive because people like you drive that. You do certain things based on peer pressure. It's just how it's always been. When we were little like that, it's, it's going to be like that until the day that we die. But how do we harness that? for the right thing. Turn with me to Acts chapter 2 verse 42. This is the passage I was referring to. This is Pentecost. Let me tell you the story. 120 people were in the church at that time. Now, if you look at this church, that would be like one of these sections, a portion of one of these sections. And it says, and they were all together praying. Now, when did that happen? We've never had a prayer meeting where everyone showed. So that right there, I think, is miraculous. Everyone was there. They were praying, and a sound of a mighty rushing wind came into the place. Tongues of fire lit up on their heads. They all started speaking in tongues. The Holy Spirit comes upon them. They burst out of the door. They go out into the public places and start praising and proclaiming God in all these various languages. It draws a huge crowd of thousands of people because Pentecost is a festival day. It was already a festival day before Pentecost hit. Everybody gathers around and Peter preaches a sermon. It's basically a three-point sermon. Number one, no, we're not drunk. That's point number one. Number two, this is a fulfilled prophecy that God already said. When my Holy Spirit hits, it's going to freak you out. Number three, 
Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you killed, is your Lord and Savior, and that's messed up, but praise the Lord, he raised from the dead, and you need to interact with him right here, right now. He is your Lord and Savior and King, and you need to proclaim his glory. And everyone said, oh, what do we do? And he said, you need to repent and be baptized for your sins, and you need to be drawn into his love. And it says, and 3,000 people were saved that day. That's, that's incredible. Right after that, they had to know how do you build a church when you had a church of 120 and now it's 3120. That's crazy growth. This is how they did it. It starts in verse 42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. Selling their possessions and goods, they gave to anyone as he had need. And every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. That's evangelism. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. I see six things that pop out immediately right off the surface on the benefits of community. Like this. Number one increase faith. Do you ever feel bummed out, doubting, challenged? Man, I don't know if all this stuff even matters. Guess what? You need to be around convinced people. It's too hard to be by yourself. And sometimes you need to be around people that are fired up because when I'm fired up, you may not be fired up. And when you're fired up, I may not be fired up. We kind of got to help each other get, I mean, when I'd start telling stories, like for example, because of the mercy of God and the, him allowing the prayers of the saints to be powerful and effective, Dr. Pete Velatini is getting better every day. And he is getting stronger and breathing on his own. And now he's becoming more alert. And now he's beginning to have movement back. And now he's having restoration fill into his body. And they're going to be able to move him to a whole other facility out of ICU because of God. When you hear that kind of stuff and that man was not expected to live through the night, your faith is increased, is it not? Don't we need to be in more environments where we're being pumped up in the Lord because you're being discipled by the world every other hour? When the world keeps saying God don't matter, how many times are you going to hear that until it actually sinks in? All the other media, all your other friends, everyone else is discipling you 24 hours a day. Don't we need to be around people that are convinced and godly? I believe we do. Number two, the power of God moves different when we come together. Why? I have no idea. I don't know. I mean, we can sit there and guess and we can play all these games, but here's the deal. This is my personal opinion. I think that God likes it a whole bunch when his kids play together and he wants to bring presents to that party. That's it. I mean, I, there's no real reason. Well, you know what? Because if you had a little bit of Holy Spirit with a little bit of Holy Spirit, no, that's bogus. Okay, everybody has the Holy Spirit. It's not like a little micro piece. And you're like, well, I brought his leg. And so I brought his arm. You know, it's not like that. Everybody has a Holy Spirit. You don't have to worry. So he can do whatever he wants to do. But for whatever reason, he loves when we come together and he tends to move in a different way than he does with us individually. There's power that ends up showing up. It's why prayer meetings matter. It's why intercessors matter. Why the body has to come together. Number three, needs are met. 
It's not rocket science. There's too many things that are coming to the leadership of this church that should have been handled at a friend level, but we don't have any friends. If I tell you about a need, hey, John from Fair Oaks, his, he just lost his job, and you know what? His family doesn't have any groceries. You kind of go, well, that is, that, that's, that's messed up. But then you put on Christian sad face. Okay, so I just in case you guys don't know what it is, let me train you in it. It looks like this. Oh, I'm going to pray about that. Are you? No, you're not. Liar. You want to care. You just don't care. That, that's, so what, whenever we bring up needs, we're so disconnected, we are relying almost totally on generosity and good hearts. Which is fine. I mean, we ha- actually have a church that is extraordinarily generous. We actually have a church that is really good-hearted. So honestly, a lot of needs get met. But wouldn't it be better if your heart was moved because you knew John? I mean, because now all of a sudden, let's say John's your best buddy, and they don't have any groceries. You're seriously going to let your best buddy's family go hungry? No way. But if you don't know each other, you don't care. We have to know each other. You have to be known here. Number four, peace and joy. Peace and joy. Unity makes us healthy. The other day, uh, real, real recently, one of my daughters was just overwhelmed by life. I mean, she just, she's trying to navigate so many things with school, and, and she just, she's worn down, and she just started to cry. And this was her phrase. I just miss church. Why? Well, my kids go to a public school. And not everybody's as convinced. Not everybody's loving the Lord. Not everybody knows the Lord. And so every day, it's ministry opportunities. Every day, you know, it's still just life. Life is already tough. And, and sometimes it's nice to be able to go to the ministries here with the kids and where the other kids are fired up too and they don't have to explain themselves and they have leaders that come around them and somebody will pray for them if they're hurting. And it's just nice to be in an environment where you feel like it's healthy. And you can relax. You feel like that? Are you still in the maturity place where you're making yourself go to church out of sacrifice? I like this place. I need to be here. Number five, increased impact to the world. And Jesus added to their, day, their, day, uh, to their numbers daily. The world is craving real love, and when they see people hanging out together that love each other that would never, ever hang out together, that makes a difference. But if they see a bunch of people that are cliquish and they only hang out with people like them and all that stuff, that actually doesn't impress them at all. But when they come into the church, I was hanging out with some folks the other day, two of my buddies, and we could not be more different. I mean, all of us, people in the restaurant literally walked by and were like, what in the world is those guys hanging out together for? We were talking about Jesus, and we were all fired up, and it was awesome. But we, we had nothing else in common but Jesus. So this whole business about nobody understands me, nobody wants me, that's garbage. No, they're people, so they're hard to make friends with. I get that. And you would go, well, you know what? Nobody's like me here. That's because you're weird. (laughs) Praise God, so are the rest of us. You just don't realize it yet. 
we're all messed up and they just look normal, right? So you look out and you just go, well, that per- they got all these things together. And then everybody wants to be friends with the same person. That person doesn't have time to do that. What about all the fact of what if we all connected in and you realize, hey, wait a second, you're not too busy. I'm not too busy. We can actually hang out. That's cool. But we don't even give those opportunities. We try different things and then it's never what we want. Well, that's not what we want. That's not how I wanted it to go. That's not how I wanted people to react. Of course not. You're dealing with human beings. They're messed up. But what happens is you can't give up. You've got to find out what's going on. One of our elders on the other night used this beautiful analogy when we were talking about the church. He said it's like a beautiful carousel. You look from the outside and you go, man, that is awesome. Look, everybody looks like they're having so much fun. And so you realize that you wave to them and you go, I want to be part of it. And they all go, yeah, jump on, right? And they have their hand out. Well, them just swinging their hand out, they go by you. You actually have to extend your hand as well. And then when you extend your hand as well, I can guarantee you this. They're hauling so fast, the first couple times it, it slips off. I mean, it's just not easy. And you go, well, see, I tried that. Try it again. Get back in there. Why? Because you have to. That's why. Eventually you lock arms and then they bring you back up and on and you're on that carousel and you're able to wander with us and be with us. Number six, acceptable worship and praise to God. For whatever reason, us coming together in unity is what God wants. Listen, it's not just what God wants, it's what we have to have. Everybody needs people backing them up. You guys, I have an intercessory team around me. I have an intercessory team that fasts, and I have a person fasting and praying for me every day. I have a staff that comes around me and prays for me. I have Joe and Mark and Russ, and they're my executive team that prays for me. We stop with each other, and some of us are up, and some of us are down. We have elder board that surrounds us, and they're holding me accountable, and we're arguing about stuff, and, and all this is happening. I got encouragements coming from the congregation, and I got, I got stories of transformation, And I'm still attacked by the enemy, and it's still hard. How in the world are you doing it? You're all by yourself. You don't have that. What's going on? Why? You need this. You remember, even in spiritual attack, you need someone to back you up. Remember when uh, the Amalekites uh, attacked the Israelites. Joshua was the commander of the army. He's fighting down below the mountain. Moses is up on the hill. And every time Moses would raise his hands, they'd win. And every time he put his hands down, they'd lose. Win, lose, win, lose, win, lose, win. I'm sure he had to mess with it for a while. Eventually, Joshua got irritated. And he's like, dude, this isn't a game, all right? We're down here fighting. Get your hands up. Well, you can only do this. And by the way, the whole idea of, I really like God when he does things in a box. Okay, this is stupid. Lose, win. That's stupid, all right? But God said, you're going to do something stupid, So I can make a point here. So I'm going to do something that's uncomfortable for you. You can only do this for so long. It'd be cool if if warfare only lasted 10 minutes. It doesn't. It lasts all day long. So how are you going to do this? Well, sure enough, he had Aaron, his brother, and his buddy named Her, which is a stupid name. They then come in and have him sit down on a rock, and all you do is hold an arm all day long. That's totally boring. All right, is his arm up? Yeah, okay, cool. They won. Okay, you need people with you. How many different ways can I say this? Uh, Moses needed Aaron to go talk to Pharaoh, right? The 12 were sent out by twos. The 72 were sent out by 
twos, right? David needed Jonathan. Caleb needed Joshua. And it goes on and on and on, right? That you just don't do well by yourself. And we know that Elijah, who's this hardcore prophet of God, finally snaps. He's hiding in a cave and he goes, God, just kill me. Why? What's your problem? I'm the only one. No, you're not. I have thousands that are on my team. Seriously, kid, get out of the cave and go back and hang out with the body of Christ. Stop being Mr. Isolated, I'm the only one guy. You are not. They're just all irritating, (laughs) right? Whatever. (laughs) Peter gets put in prison by Herod. It says, and this is one of my favorite lines, so Peter was kept in prison, but earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. They prayed him out of prison. How did that happen? An angel showed up. That was weird. Peter's sitting there with guards on either side. Chains fall off his wrist. An angel taps him on the shoulder and goes, we've got to get out of here. He thinks he's having a vision. He doesn't believe it's even real. And he's like, all right. And the angel's like, put on your clothes. Great point. Puts on his clothes. <laughs> and they walk out. The door opens for him. It's all dramatic and everything, right? And he walks him all the way out. And then poof, the angel's gone. So Peter's like, whoa, that was real bizarre. So he goes over where they're having the all night prayer meeting and knocks on the door quietly, right? He doesn't want to get busted again. I don't know how many angels there are, but they're probably going to get sick of it. So he knocks on the door and the little servant girl, because everyone else is too busy praying for Peter. She comes to the door and she's like, ah, it's Peter. So she runs back and she's like, you guys, Peter's here. Like, Shh. We're praying for Peter. She's like, I know he's right there. Shh. We're praying for Peter. And he's like, ah. okay, you guys, seriously, he's out there and they go, it might just be his ghost. And he can't come in? <laughs> I don't, well, I don't, still, I'm not sure what we're doing here, right? And then they go out, and they're like, ah, it's Peter. And he's like, shh, I'm going to get busted again, <laughs> right? So after everyone shushes everyone all night long, eventually the idea is that they interceded for him, and he was free. God's mercy plus the prayers of the saints and the intercession set a man free. Uh, Paul needed Barnabas. David wouldn't have known his sin without Nathan calling him on it. And it just goes on and on and on. Check out this verse of Paul. And he always told his churches, you got to pray for me. Because if you pray for me, then all of a sudden we're successful and it's awesome. Uh, you got to pray for me that I'm bold. You got to pray for me that I get rescued. You got to pray for me. You got to support me, man. He says this. His heart is broken. 2 Corinthians 7, 6. But God who comforts the downcast comforted us by the coming of Titus. Not only by his coming, but also by the comfort you had given him. And he told us all about your longing for me, your deep sorrow, your ardent concern for me, so that my joy was greater than ever. You know how awesome it is to feel like people are praying for you and want you and want to be around you? Paul's heart was broken. Just because you're in the ministry doesn't mean that you don't need friends. I close with this. Friends are hard. Next week, what are we talking about? How we make them? Well, how old are we? Apparently not old enough to make friends. We need community, and we've got to talk about how to have real community. We're going to talk about that. But here's the truth, and I need you to own this. Please don't let Satan isolate you. Whether you want to or don't want to, or it's too much of a pain, or whatever it is, don't let him do that. You all know, and I'll finish with this story, you all know and have watched National Geographic on how hunting works, right? Lion comes up to the crowd, looks for inhaler buffalo. 
there's always that one buffalo who's like, guys, I'll be, I'll be there in a second. And then he's, you know, and then the herd's moving. You remember him? Right? And the lion's just like, "Uh uh-huh. Inhaler buffalo, right? So he goes and he starts isolating him and he's like, guys, I can't keep up, right? And then he gets him off into the side and then it's just sad. And that's when you turn the show, right? Because you're like, oh, we got him, right? Okay. Satan can't take out the whole herd. So he's got to spread us out. Please don't let him do that. And for you to help him out by flitting about and just doing things that work for you isn't going to cut it. I know it's hard. Be known here. Be involved here. Be invested here. And let people care about you while you care about them. If you just walk in going, I need friends. Well, you know what? We all need a lot of things. If you come in and you go, I want to be part of something. That's different. And God can move. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for this morning. Lord, that we would be able to be part of such a beautiful body anyway. Uh, Lord, as, I'm, as I look out over your family, I'm amazed. Because, Lord, so many are doing so many things so right. And yet, Lord, we get discouraged. We get bummed out. We, it's hard. It's frustrating. Lord, the other people just don't, don't seem to get it. And, and we try and we smash our head against the wall. And, Father, would you help sort it out? Would you help us to make those beautiful connections? Would you allow us to have friends here? Would you get us beyond ourselves? Would you allow us to serve and love and, be, and enjoy this? That God, this is a beautiful place. Your house is a wonderful place to be. So thank you, Lord, for giving us opportunities like this. Be glorified in Jesus' name. Amen.